This is the Heath in Pursuit podcast with Heath Hollandsby. Each week we'll have a conversation with various folks who are actively engaged in the pursuit of truth. This is a show where anything can be discussed and probably will. A podcast for the seekers, the dreamers, the restless, the hurt and the broken. This is a podcast for you. Welcome to Heath in Pursuit. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another edition of Heath in Pursuit. I am Heath Hollinsby, and I am nervous about where this thing's going to go today. Not so much nervous because I don't have a plan. I mean, I got a plan, and I think through these these uh, episodes pretty thoughtfully before I, I press that old record button. But um, yeah, so a few minutes ago, I ate... Um, I, what, I don't know if I should even say this. Okay. So I did this last episode on the senses, which was kind of fun. And I had a friend that I deeply love and respect who said, Hey, I listened to the podcast and like, dude, you're talking about all these amazing senses and you're talking about drinking whiskey and eating Doritos. Like I should have called you out. And I thought, Oh, that's fair. Cool Ranch Doritos are like my kryptonite. Um, and so I just had a hot and spicy Cheeto cause my daughter brought me a little, you know, a little five-year-old daughter handful of spicy Cheetos and so uh, that was right before I hit record and so we'll see how this thing takes off if you hear a little uh, summoning of water bottles um, that might happen or I might just I don't know we'll see what happens but uh, today I'm really excited about this this episode I'm excited about all the episodes because it takes that excitement to actually want to record something but um before we get into this I want to talk about uh, the importance of reviews um, and that's helpful. And you look, this is a free show. I don't make any money off of it. Um, there's no charge to listen to it. There's no advertising that you have to listen to commercials. And so uh, I'm going to do a little advertising here on the front end, a little 60 seconds or so, and uh, just let you know what's going on and make a little request because that really helps out. So uh, there's a, a user handle, Thoughts of a Dying Believer, who wrote, the host asks thoughtful questions and seems to enjoy getting to ask people questions. It's a delight to listen two and a terrific forum for potentially heavy ideas thank you for that review thoughts of a dying believer um and i just want to remind you if you haven't yet left a review on the show that is super helpful so please do it uh and i'm not one to encourage lying but if you don't even like the show that much just say you do five stars that helps uh, it just takes a second but people trust reviews we're in a generation where like we won't go places or we will go places or we'll spend money on things simply because of the reviews of people we've never met. And so, uh, Apple uses this algorithm to get the show out into the ears of people, um, who've never heard it or onto the screens of folks who have never, uh, been able to listen to a podcast. And so that would be super helpful for me is if you lead a re- leave a review and, um, uh, I just want to let you know too, I've been doing more and more touring as things are starting to pick back up. So, uh, right now, I'm touring our Playful Universe, which is about an hour-long show that I wrote that talks about our place in everything. So it starts off at the subatomic, or starts starts off in the universe and breaks down into the subatomic world and talks about hierarchy and holism and how science is real, but it's also not real and will never be able to answer things for us. Um, and it ties in the spiritual component. You know, I, I'm trying to give my life to making spiritual things interesting to people. And so uh, this show does it. And uh, I'd love to come to your city. 
Um, so if you're interested, feel free to reach out on heathandpursuit.com or heathhollandsby.com. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll figure out how to get that thing happening. And I'll get on an airplane or a train or a boat or a, I don't know, a bicycle if you're close. And I'll figure out how to get to you and share this thing because there's been a lot of really great reviews about it. Um, a lot of people that have been changed by it, that it's opened up their perspective, that it, uh, was, you know, one of the most common things is like, man, I had never considered that before. And so I'd love to share that with you in your community. Okay. Sales pitch over. Um, okay. So here's what I want to do today. <clears throat> I want to talk to you about the difference between rights and relationships. And I want to show you how that the tape that you might be writing about your life and who you are and your identity might need to be switched. And then I'm going to show you how to do that. Um, okay, there's a great teaching in the Bible, and it comes from a book called Luke, and it's such a great story. It's so good that it actually transcends religion, and uh, I love a good story. And this is, the background is Jesus is presenting um, this story to his disciples, to the Pharisees who were the strict observers of Jewish law. Like they were the old judgy ones that felt that perfect law abiding was the key to successful religious life. And Jesus was talking to some others. Luke says that uh, the sinners gathered. And so um, I'd consider myself maybe in that group because I wasn't a disciple. Maybe, I mean, you know, maybe I was a sinner in that group. So Jesus is talking to these groups of people. And the story of the prodigal son is like the third act of a show that Jesus is using to comment uh, or maybe even scold the Pharisees who were not really into digging the crowd that Jesus was hanging out with. And so he goes into these three stories about redemption and they're one right after the other. They, it's the lost sheep, and then the lost coin, and then the lost son. And it's like a one-two knockout blow. Like, the prodigal son story transcends any religion. And even those who don't claim, like, a Christian faith would still go, wow, what a beautiful story, if you're reading it correctly. And if you just refuse to hear it because it has a religious background, then just, you know, you're a lunatic or something, because good stories, man, regardless of where they come from, that's important. Um, and what I noticed in recently reading the story, uh, I began to notice that this story was starting to change my mind as I began to look at the relational dynamics of the story. And rather than trying to like mine really great information or object lessons out of this thing, I actually just sat and held this as a story. Fictitious, not fictitious, I mean, whatever, like, I watch movies because I enjoy the story, not because I want the, to pick apart the narrative that the, the you know, author was trying to create. And so when you start reading movies or watching movies like a, like a, like a textbook, you're reading it wrong. And so I think that happens in a lot of American Christianity is we've just, we've been taught to read and to mine out the important points to, to pull. What's the moral lesson here? And man, when you sit back and actually listen to something as a story, yeah, let's go for it. Um, and so the reason that this was so fascinating to me, it might be to you, is that I think that with a bit of reframing, this thing can go from a really far out brilliant moral lesson or even a feel-good story to having lasting implications that can change the way you view yourself from a psychological standpoint. Um, and a parable of a lost son can also be found in the Mahayana Buddhist Lotus Sutra. 
a religious text um, through Buddhism. And so for those who like think Jesus has the full claim on this story, yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's one in Buddhism as well. And these two parables are actually so similar in the way that they're outlined and a lot of the details that many uh, religious scholars have actually assumed that one version influenced the other, or that both of those came from the same similar origin and just kind of developed downstream. Um, and the story in the Lotus Sutra ends a little bit differently, and so I'm not going to tell you how, plot twist, but I encourage you to check out that version as well because it provides a really beneficial, unique twist on this whole thing. Okay. So the gist of this prodigal son story, for those who've never heard it before, is this. In the story, a father has two sons, and the younger son asks for his portion of the inheritance from his father, who actually gives in and grants his son's request. This son, however, is prodigal, and I want to um, I want to clarify that prodigal does not mean like poor or runaway or orphaned or bad. Prodigal actually um, means wasteful and extravagant, not far out lost and wandering. So uh, squandering his fortune, this is part of the story, he becomes destitute, and as a consequence, he now has to go home empty-handed and beg his father to accept him back as a servant. But the son is surprised because he's not yelled at or disciplined or shamed by his father, but he's welcomed back with celebration and with a huge party. And then uh, another main character enters the scene, the older brother. And he is so envious that he actually refuses to participate in the festivities. And the father says to the older son, you have always been with me and all that I have is yours, but your younger brother was lost and now he's found. Now, Jesus is a brilliant communicator because the older son here seems to think in terms of law and merit and reward rather than through the eyes of love and graciousness. And what I think is really fascinating is that um, some of the religious biblical scholars would actually say that there's a pretty darn good chance that the older son was representing the Pharisees who were criticizing Jesus before he even started this like three, uh, three-story knockout punch, which is brilliant. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But if the Pharisees are trying to trap you in a question, what better way than to respond to them by making them look like the fools in the story that you're telling? And everybody would have picked up on this. So the story begins with a man who had two sons, and the younger of them asks his father to give him his share of what was going to be his, the share of the estate. Um, the idea of a man having two sons to first century Jewish culture listeners would immediately bring to mind other familiar stories of of a man with two sons. So Ishmael and Isaac, Jacob and Esau, Cain and Abel, these would have been similar traits where they thought Jesus was going. And the implication of the story is that the son couldn't wait for his father's death for his inheritance because he wanted it immediately. Essentially what this younger son was saying was, I don't care if you were dead because you don't matter to me. Your money does. And this is a really scandalous story because in a, in a patriarchal Jewish society, this was the ultimate shaming move, the ultimate disrespectful move. This was beyond embarrassing to the father. And so in this context, 
it's really hard to tie it in another story that's like familiar. Like I was thinking through like, have I seen anything on the news or read any good books or any movies that kind of would have this level of scandal and betrayal and embarrassment on, on a, you know, family shame. And I, I just couldn't go there. So I couldn't think of a story to connect this with because it's that scandalous. But there's a plot twist. The father actually gives in. He says, okay, yeah, sure. And the son runs off with the inheritance and he starts drinking and partying and hooking up with prostitutes and blowing through that money. He heads off to his life of hedonism with his father's name being dragged through the mud while he foots the bill. Oh, yeah, that alone will speak, right? Um, Inheritance was and is, unfortunately, I mean, inheritance is a thing. But in this culture, the inheritance typically went to the older brother, and then it was divided up through the rest of the siblings. So essentially what the younger brother was doing here, like not only disgracing the father, but also sort of like effing the older brother because he got his cut in line. Like he cut to the front and took the biggest chunk of the inheritance early. And so the younger brother is doing a stellar job of alienating himself from his father and from his brother. And it's apparent that there's no consideration of others at this point. He just wants what he wants and he is going to take it and he is going to spend it. And he doesn't really have a great game plan because he's so focused on the here and the now. It wasn't like, hey, can I get that money early because there's a great opportunity to buy a business that's going to set me and the family up for a long time? Or there's a bigger plot of land that we're going to try to purchase and homestead and grow a great you know, family here to honor your name. It was nothing like that. It was, I want you dead. I'd prefer you to be dead so I could have your money and so I could do whatever I want whenever I want which means there's no real intention that this was going to exceed past that lineage. Because when the money dries up, it dries up. Okay, so the sun leaves and crashes. He burns out quickly. And he notices that the life that he has gotten himself into is not what he thought it was going to be. Uh, and so he starts thinking about what position he could actually return, like a dog returning to his vomit. Like, could he grovel home and at least be a servant in the house where he used to be a son? Because he was thinking that he could at least have one of his father's, like, if he was one of the father's staff members, then at least he has a place to stay. At least he's paid. At least he's got food and he's not sleeping with pigs. And so, yeah, so he starts thinking like a servant and not like a son. And sometimes life will reorient your identity like that. Do you feel me? Like, have you ever had that time where you just lose who you are? You have such a big blow that you actually can't remember where you stand. You can't remember where you are in relationship to others. Like the symbiosis of relationship starts to fall apart and it's disorienting and it's confusing. So the son decides to head home. Side note here, uh, this was fascinating. So when I was finishing my, my doctorate program, I remember we took a course reading about this, this story, Prodigal Son. So Mark Allen Powell had uh, 12 students in a seminary class, a seminary for those who are going to be like preachers and pastors. Like that's the schooling, advanced schooling. 
Um, so Mark Allen Powell had 12 students in a seminary class read the story carefully from Luke's gospel. He had them close their Bibles and then try to retell the story as faithfully as they could to somebody else in the room, another classmate. Now, none of these 12 American seminary students mentioned that there was a significant piece of this story which caused the son to want to go home. So in Luke 15, verse 14, uh, the text mentions a famine. And that that is the, the forerunner to the son's eventual return. Well, Powell found this, this omission of the famine really, really fascinating. And so he thought... Let's experiment with this. And then he had a hundred people read the story and retell it as accurately as possible to a partner. Only six of the 100 participants actually mentioned the famine. And this group was uh, diverse. Like it was religiously diverse, ethnically, racially, socioeconomically diverse. And these famine forgetters, as uh, Paul calls them down the road, had only one thing in common. They were from the United States. So Powell later on had the opportunity to do this experiment yet again and instead not do it in the U.S. this time. So he went to Russia, St. Petersburg, Russia, and he gathered 50 participants to read this and retell the story, just like he did with the, the American folks. This time, 42 of the 50 participants mentioned the famine. Why? Because just 70 years before, almost 700,000 people died of starvation after a Nazi German siege of the capital city. And that led to a three-year famine. So for these Russians, famine was a part of their history. But based uh, you know, specifically on the cultural location, people from America and Russia disagreed about what they considered the crucial details of the story. Because Americans, yeah, they tend to treat the mention of the famine as an unnecessary device for the plot. Because Americans typically don't know famine. But for those who live it, yeah, they see different elements to the story, don't they? Okay, back to the story. So the son's coming home. He hit rock bottom. He's walking home, and he starts to dis- develop the speech for the father, almost like an interview, sort of like, you know, profile, like paragraph. Um, and a big part of the speech is this reframing of being a son moving to a servant. And that comes in the line, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Each and every one of us has a narrative that plays in our head about what our own self-worth and what our own value is. And this takes on many different facets and angles. It could be a narrative of you saying, I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm too tall. I'm too skinny. I'm not fast enough. They're better. Somebody else is a better fit. Somebody else is more qualified. I'm a phony. I'm a fake. And so we're all playing this tape in our head of what our self-worth is and what our value is. And the son starts heading home in this story. And when he's a long way off, the father notices him. And there's so much we could say about the expectant father here. Maybe, yeah, maybe that'll be another podcast one time. Uh, You could talk about the commitment to his boy, his love for his boy. Um, Yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, You could talk about how he doesn't even acknowledge the shame that his son brought on him. That's not even part of the conversation. So the son's coming. The father sees him a long way off, and the father runs to him, and he holds him, and he kisses him. And his son goes straight into his prepared speech. He goes, like, Father, you know, I I am not worthy to be your son, and I thought I'd come back. And the father's not going to have any of it. He doesn't even, 
he doesn't even listen to the speech. He cuts the thing off. In fact, yeah, he shuts the whole thing down and he turns to the servants and starts ordering for a party to be thrown. And he says, get this boy a robe and get him a ring and get him a fatted calf. And all of these things, like these symbols, the ring, the robe, the, the fatted calf, these are all signs of identity. They're signs of sonship, that this person is not a servant. This person is a son that belongs in the family. So he comes home and his father has a completely different narrative about this situation because the father's perspective was that this lost son is found, that this perceived dead son is alive. The, the father wasn't seeking revenge or retaliation or an apology. The father's view is simply, this is my boy. And so this prodigal son is immediately confronted by a psychological fork in the road. Like, do I keep trusting the tape that's been playing in my head? Or do I trust what my father says is true about me? Same story, but different story, right? Because the son's perspective is, I'm not worthy to be your son. But the father's perspective is, let's throw the biggest and best party because my boy is home. So, who do you cling to? Like, what's the version of the story that you cling to? Is it the story that you were randomly repeating in your head over and over and over as you returned home? Or do you slow down and begin to trust the other version of the story, the, the, the narrative that the father's laying out? And then, plot twist yet again, older brother's still there, and he's not having this because he's pissed off. He's been wronged. And he has a story as well. And he's been festering on this story. Yeah, this story cost him a lot. And he is not, he's not willing to see a lost son found. He's not willing to see the, the forgiveness of the father to the son. He thinks he is owed something. So he's pouting. He's throwing a fit. He's refusing to go inside to the party. He has no plans to be a part of this thing. And instead, he starts trying to get into dad's ear with different techniques. So like with doubt, what are you even doing right now, dad? Why are you throwing a party like this? Yeah, son, son feels like his story needs to be the major narrative. He uses entitlement. Like, you've never even given me a goat for a party, he says. And it's weird talking about goats and calves and fatted calves and slaying them for parties and stuff in 2021. But uh, all that to say is that a goat is not that impressive. There's no meat on them. They're difficult to catch um, for many reasons. It's just, you know, this is the story of the day. So th- it would be equivalent to saying, okay, dad, so you're throwing a $10,000 for his party, but I've done everything right from day one. And you've never even given me a hundred bucks to have a party with my friends. And the older brother is so upset. He's so pissed off that he can't even say his brother's name. Have you ever been that mad where you can't say somebody's name because just the thought of that, having to identify that person with a name, having to give that authority to them, it's just, you're too hurt, you're too broken, you're too, you're too angry. Yeah, I have for sure. So son's, son's not having it. Party's going down, it's about to get started, and older brother is just dragging his feet and stomping his feet. Because the older brother's case is that he's ch- he's checked all the good son boxes from day one. And why wasn't he being celebrated? And so 
on one hand, you have the younger son saying, I'm no longer worthy, but then you have the older son who's saying, I am worthy because I've always played by the rules, which if you were the Pharisees, remember the rule players, the rule keepers, could you see how, how hacked off you'd be if Jesus was using the older brother as an allegory for you in front of this crowd that you just asked a question about? Yeah, that's some subversive genius there, right? Okay. Older son, I'm worthy because of everything that I've done. Younger son, I'm no longer to be worthy. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father comes in and says, all these years of keeping the rules, all the years of doing this right, like that doesn't make you my son because you've always been with me. You've always had access to what I've had access to. That is part of being in this family. That is part of this family lineage. You have what." I have because you are a son, not because you've earned it. Okay, now this story comes from a religious book. And so it's it's not a hard leap to make that the father in the story is representing the character of God. And the fascinating thing is that we actually make this story so much more about the prodigal son. When most translations actually start the story off by saying that Jesus starts it by saying, this is a story about a father. And so my whole growing up, I've heard that this is a story about a son. And then I read a really great book that was actually about the older brother. But Jesus actually says, this is about a father. You want to take a lesson from what I'm about to teach you. Let me give you the teacher's guide. Pay attention to the pops. Pay attention to Papa in this story because he's going to be the hero. And I heard a really great comment recently about how all of the lines that Jesus could have put in the mouth of this God figure in this passage, like Jesus could have made this God figure say anything. And the one he chose to say was, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. And this is pretty remarkable, even for those who don't believe in a a higher power or a God figure, or maybe have religious baggage or don't buy any of it regardless of where you stand on that spectrum, this is a beautiful statement. Like it's one of identity and authority and, and, and welcoming and embracing and inclusion. So each son has his own version of the story. And the father's uh, going to confront each son's narrative, each son's, uh, the tape that's been playing in their head about who they believe, who they perceive that they are. So the father has his own story. And he's going to make that known. So to the younger son, he says, this is like, regardless of where you feel that we stand, you're my boy. That's not going to change. Did you make a stupid decision? Maybe. Cool. We're not even going to talk about that right now. You're my boy. You are my son. That is how it is, regardless of what you've done. But to the older son, to the older brother, he says, almost the flip of that. Like, you aren't my boy because you've earned it. You've, you've always had it. That's the nature of relationship. You don't have to earn that with me. Like, it's yours. And it's not by anything you've even done. And the reason it's so important to frequent this story is that each and every one of us are actually trusting a story about who we are and where we fit in this whole thing. And for most of us, our spiritual worldview has been this transactional approach to how things work. Transaction is uh, that somebody did something for you, um, so let's say God here, and that now you have to do all of these things in order for that thing to be activated. 
Uh, and I lived this way for years. I served in in churches when I was pastoring. Like this was what I believed, and now I'm trying to desperately unbelieve this. So in the the tradition that I was part of, it was okay. God sent Jesus. God created a world. Humans screwed it up so bad that God was angry. And the only way he wouldn't be angry is to send his son, his only begotten, to die for us. And when the blood was shed, then God was satisfied. And now if you do this, or if you try this, or you live this way, you get a reward. And if you decide not to, well, it's going to be a hot, you're going to be hot for a really long time. And not like, not like a beach in the Caribbean sort of hot, but like a miserable hell sort of hot. And that level of having to constantly fight for my position in line, like a runt pig, was exhausting. And I like it crushed my soul. It crushed who I am. I still grieve thinking that there's people that things I've said from stages when I was in that mindset, like probably are still wrestling with this and it's my fault. Like there's some baggage there. That constantly having to perform crushed me. And there's been a lot of people that have been on that side of things. And so as a result, we're constantly having to take an assessment of whether or not we've done enough. And this is an exhausting situation because you get a list of shoulds. You should pray more. You should read the Bible more. You should give more money. You should donate more time. You should get involved in this. And even the things that seem like not big asks are still action verbs. Well, if you just believe believe this. Well, and then it opens up the questions like, am I believing enough? Have I believed for long enough? Am I holding that same belief or do my beliefs evolve as I evolve? Uh, what if I believe and I gave it everything I have and I still get to the end and find out like I didn't, I didn't get an A plus because a professor had a bad day. And so now I'm in hell for the rest of eternity. Yeah. So it feels like there's this eternal carrot in front of the horse. If you just do this and just do this, you'll be better. And even if it's not blatant asks, there's there's this constant undercurrent. There's a sense that you've never done enough. And that that lasts for a while. It produces great like behavior modification. It changes like how you act for a time, but then you get resentful and bitter and there's a bit of cognitive dissonance because the way you're acting is not in line with what you're thinking or feeling. And yeah, there's a lot there. And there's no the effect of that is that there's no real lasting change because it's motivated out of obligation. It's birthed out of obligation, not love or gratitude or appreciation. And the beautiful thing about the story is that Jesus flips the whole switch and says, it's actually about relationship. Do you believe that regardless of the narrative that's been playing over and over in your head, and it could have been playing for decades, are you going to hang on to that and believe that? Or Will you take a risk? Will you throw everything you've got at believing that there is a relationship with this divine energy and that this energy, whether it be, you know, something like astrology or a deity or an energy, do you believe that it's pursuing you and wanting you to enter into a relationship with it? Because what's happening in the story is the father is making a massive announcement of who you are. And so when you refuse to believe another story and you continually choose to listen to the old story, it will lead you into many destructive paths. 
in the many destructive habits and mental confines. We get that. So the story that we have to that we that we get to tell ourselves shapes how we live in the world. It shapes how we relate to one another. It shapes our hierarchy of relationship patterns. And the narrative of how you see the world and how you see yourself in the world is going to affect you. Because if you believe that the universe is mean and cruel and self-serving and that at all costs it's out to survive, then you're going to live in a way that translates similarly. You're going to become a grab-it-when-you-need-it consumer climbing to the top, stepping on others to get somewhere. But if you can dare to imagine that this world is good and it's beautiful and that people are for you and that you're designed with a purpose and that the energy of the world is positive and it's on your side, yeah, that's the stuff that's going to change who you are. Because the more grounded we are in our identity, the more we know what to do. Yeah, when you get a sense about who you are, it's not hard to live out of that. And if you spend time telling people who they are or telling yourself who you are, and look, sometimes it does take trusting an unfamiliar storyline. There's a great chance that, that you're going to know what to do out of that. If you're telling that to people, they're going to know how to respond out of that because the real power of life comes in when you announce to people who they are, not what they have to do to be someone. So what changes your behaviors? A long list of who you aren't? Or maybe a list of how you screwed up or what you've missed or what you didn't get exactly right. Because shame and fear and guilt, like, yeah, that'll get a lot of people to do a lot of things. Trust me. I've used those tactics, unfortunately. But true heart transformation comes when you're awakened to your identity. When you're awakened to your relationship in this wild, chaotic, beautiful, fun, laughing world that we're part of. When you're reminded of your true self, yeah, yeah, that's something that's important. So at a, at a primitive level, at a core level, we know that we belong. We know we're meant to be here. We know that we're meant to serve a purpose, that we matter, that we have meaning, that what we're doing here is not just disintegrating into something forgotten. But we've been given a message. We've been given a lens, usually from a really young age, before we even know what's happening. We've been given a lens on how we got to see the world how we should see ourselves, how we're supposed to relate in this world, how we're supposed to relate to others. But it's all about evolution. And it's time to grow out of that old story for many of us. It's about maturing into something new, something better, in the same way the snake sheds its skin. Like maybe it's time to shed a new skin. In fact, it's necessary for your growth. It's necessary for you to grow to walk away from that which you've always believed about yourself. To trust a different narrative. And uh, I want to close here with a, a similar story that comes from um, another text called the Pesikta Rabiati. And it's beautiful. And it's a similar version of this prodigal story, except it, it changes a little differently. It says this. A king had a son who had gone astray from his father on a journey of a hundred days. His friend said to him, Return to your father. And he said, I cannot. Then his father sent word, Return as far as you can, and I will come the rest of the way to you. 
So God says, return to me and I will return to you. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? Even if it's not like mining for religious meaning, just what a beautiful story. The universe is for you. It's here to help you. It's here to guide you. It's here to lead you. And now our work comes in. It comes in in this, in this form of paying attention to the tape that's been playing in our head. And it's not going to be easy all the time. In fact, at times it's so familiar, that soundtrack has been playing so long that it's just absorbed as background noise. We forget that there's actually a tape playing because we've grown too familiar with the song. Yeah, but we might just need to crack that window to get some new, fresh air into our lungs and into our orbit. And if you're anything like me, it's about time that you change the tape. For me, it's been playing for 38 years, and it's time to listen to a new song. It's time to listen to a new band, a new genre. Yep. Yeah. It's the prodigal son. There's some really great biblical things you can pull from it. But man, when you think about what it means to be deeply human, that story just relates across the board. So my hope is that uh, you have the confidence and the courage to walk over to your brain and to pause the tape, or at least to start paying more attention to it and considering that maybe there's a better narrative. Maybe it's time to shed that skin because it's necessary for your growth. It's necessary for your joy and for your happiness. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Heath in Pursuit podcast. We look forward to being back with you next week. For more information on the various works of Heath Hollandsby, please visit heathinpursuit.com.